Recording. I can see it. it says recording. That's how it's you know it's recording. App. It's a fancy app. When do you guys want to pray? I will pray. Yeah. You got a mic. Yeah. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. We ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 It's been too long, brothers. Brothers. So are you getting over this this bug? Yeah, I think I'm over it, but it's like the leftover swimmy head weakness from just laying around like a lazy bones. Mm. I'm going. I really wanted to kick it because I'm going down to Dallas tomorrow morning Mm. for a family. Longtime listeners of the podcast will remember an episode in which I slept through my flight by several hours for a Thanksgiving in Dallas. I remember that. And I also have an early morning flight tomorrow, so prayers appreciated that I don't do that again. <laughs> you better put this episode out tonight then. <laughs> yeah, I will. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I really wanted to kick the kick the bug. It was sort of, I'm not going to say it was a flu because I conscientiously didn't get a flu shot this year when I easily could have at a, at a priest gathering because I, I don't know, I don't want to get emails, but I'm dubious. Um <laughs> I okay. I'm with you. I, we can talk about this unless we want to get emails. Yeah, but I'm with you. It makes sense. <laughs> but to I me. was I was scolded by one of our focus missionaries who is a registered nurse that I should have gotten it for herd immunity reasons. But um, you're responsible. Yeah, I don't know. I I, mean, I, look, probably I know have. some listeners, and I'm not going to name them, but that you will be getting strongly worded emails from them. <laughs> okay, I'll just cut all of this out. <laughs> no, leave it. I love getting emails. <laughs> Anyways, we, I anything we can to get emails. <laughs> it was flu-like. It wasn't as I had the flu legit <clears throat> a couple years ago. Right. And it was awful, man. It was bad, and it was like maybe ten or twelve days of just misery. This was maybe five days. But it was it was not just a head cold. It was achy, weak, sleepy. Oh, the aches, dude. Yeah. But anyways, I think I'm better. I'm supposed to do a turkey trot on Thursday morning down in Dallas, so I think I'll be, I think I'll be raring to go with my atrophied muscles <laughs> from sleeping on the couch all all week. <laughs> That'll be fun. Uh, can you describe what a turkey trot is? What is that going to look like? I think it's a 5K. Mm. Do you have to dress up? Um, I won't be dressing up. But it'll be Texas, so hopefully warmer. Some Some shorts. Shorts and a tiche. Shorts and a tiche. And what are you doing for Thanksgiving, Rob? Uh, We got the, we do a vigil mass uh, here at the parish on Wednesday evening, which is really nice. It's pretty well attended, at least in my one year of experience with it. Excuse me. But, uh, and people can bring. Like if they have any bread or wine or anything like that for their like hey juice closer dinner. to the mic please I'm right on it are you it's like you unless you turn down or something because you were loud at the beginning really how yeah how's Ooh, that? that's better that's better okay I turned oh that's interesting I turned the actual mic huh interesting uh, um what was I saying vigil mass oh we do we bless the bread and the um wine at the for the dinner tables and a lot of people brought stuff which was pretty cool last year and then i'm going home on thursday and we'll see mom and dad and get together with some extended family um and i'll be home on friday too i don't really like have any big big plans on friday maybe see a movie or or something probably say mass at mom and dad's and dang man i got the deer hunting bug maybe i'll go deer hunting who knows (laughs) sweet did you slaughter some deer I did. Yeah, I got it. Well, I got a doe, um, but a nice doe. So she's in the freezer. And and my brother got a nice eight-pointer, and my brother-in-law got a nice eight-pointer. So we had a great deer season 2019. Nice. Oh, I have a great juice box story from deer hunting, yes. if you guys want to hear it. Sure. Do you want to do a quick update first, Mets, on what you're doing for Thanksgiving? Oh, yeah. So I'll be... I got a 10 o'clock bilingual mass here, and then um, I'll be heading home. And gonna sit 
on my keister for two straight days and watch <laughs> so much college football that my eyes explode and eat <laughs> equal amounts of turkey until my gut explodes. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it's a dude. gruesome sight. Imagine <laughs> it. <laughs> I know. And yet it's going to be so glorious. Uh, we'll all like the whole family basically is going to be back with all the nieces and nephews and oh my goodness man it's gonna be great i yeah just to spend a little time where i know that i can breathe easy and um just be with all these people that i love together and um i'm looking forward to it so much so actually i'll have maybe two or three of my younger siblings are going to come out and visit me here in beautiful rome georgia on wednesday afternoon and i think we're going to do some hiking and camping and then camp out uh, Wednesday night and then wake up and do the Thursday mass together and then head home for Thanksgiving. So it's just going to be a great week, man. I haven't seen, I feel like I haven't seen my family in forever and, um, I miss them a lot. Uh, and just that time together. Yeah. That's life. The transitions where you have to allow these relationships to change and kind of let them go to create their own families you feel it at the holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is one of those special years or special holidays where I think it's just kind of fallen into place where I think we'll all be back together and um, under the same roof, at least for half a day or something like that. So very, a lot to be grateful for. A lot to be grateful for. Nice, man. How appropriate. I heard a word of wisdom that you should, when feasting or relaxing, plan it prior to the fact because otherwise it can easily become sort of self-indulgent um, if it's unstructured feasting. Mm. You know what I mean? Like on your yeah. day off, it's good. It's wise to to plan what you're going to do on your day off so you don't just like sleep in and do nothing. Yeah. So I'm glad that you've planned to watch enough college football that your eyes explode. Yeah. If I just came and did that, I would never. <laughs> yeah. If you just, you'd feel so bad right. at the end of the day. If you're like, oh, <laughs> I wanted to get some <laughs> stuff done today, but instead I just laid on the couch and watched football. Yeah, now Instead, it's going to be you're like... intentionally doing it. Yeah, it's like I wanted to get stuff done today, and I did it, because all I wanted to get <laughs> done was watch every college football game that was on TV. Yeah, mm-hmm. that goes that goes from, oh man, I don't have eyes anymore, dang it, to I don't have eyes anymore, <laughs> worth it. Job complete. Yeah. <laughs> check, check. Mm-hmm. So what happened with Juicebox? Right, how, how old story. is he now? Juicebox is eight years old. Can wow. you guys imagine? It's what? Crazy. <clears throat> I know. So I had taken a few days off. So last weekend was the big gun season for Illinois deer hunters. But then a couple, the week prior, two weeks prior, somewhere in there, I took a few days of vacation time to do a little bow hunting as well up at my sister's farm and brother-in-law's farm. And so, <clears throat> dang it. I think you gave me this uh, bug you got over, over the internet. <laughs> over the internet. This, I wasn't coughing before this cast. <clears throat> oh crap! Should I put a mask on? <laughs> should I <laughs> save yourself, Mets? Um, so we're in a ground blind and um, hunting. We're, it's an evening hunt, and he's a great for being eight. He does a he does great like out in the field. He helps and. But he's kind of he's he's a little chatty, you know. He he likes to talk and tell stories, and which is all fine. It's all good and fun. Um, but I don't even know what we were talking about. But we were just sitting there, like having a good time. We had probably been in the blind like an hour and a half, and it was like maybe thirty seconds of silence. And all of a sudden, his face just changes, and it gets like really serious. And he like kind of leans over to me. And I'm thinking this is going to be something kind of deep or I don't even know, or like some type of joke or something like that that he's trying to play. And just out of the blue, he looks right right at my face and he goes, uh, yeah, uh, zombies aren't real, right? <laughs> <laughs> but he was making sure? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, what? No, no, they're not real. They're not real. And so we were kind of like talking about it for a minute and I was like laughing to myself. And I ask him, I don't know, like 10 minutes later, so I was like, where, like, where did you hear about the zombies? Where, where are we going to ask that? And like some kid on his flag football team had been talking about zombies. And that had been like two months prior. And you're and still he thinking was, about it. 
he was just still thinking about it. And it was, he, you could tell he had like worked through it in his head that it wasn't real, mm-hmm. but he also wasn't going to let this opportunity of uncle time like pass up <laughs> without getting this, getting An this bad boy confirmed yeah. that <laughs> zombies are in fact not real. Well, it could, have been, it it could have been the woods. Yeah. He was sitting in the woods with you and like he would feel more vulnerable to zombies. Oh, oh yeah. Tr- yeah. yeah no if zombies were going to be out there. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. that would it would be either that or abandoned buildings in cities. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Abandoned buildings. Dude, he yeah. was definitely making sure in that moment. Not like, hey, in general, zombies aren't real. It's like, I need to know for now. Zombies are, aren't real, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no just, way a zombie's going to come and get us. <laughs> let's just clear this up. Uh, I know this. Right I want to make sure you know this, though, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, you're not scared, are you? Yeah. <laughs> So I thought it was good. I did. I it was just really, really funny. It wasn't too much of an effective movement. I did take it to a holy hour, um, and it kind of it was kind of funny. Like I don't know. It was just such a cool question. I don't even know how to uh, uh, like what made it so cool to hear and like kind of lighthearted and fun. Well, it was very um, fatherly on your part. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure, for sure. Um, and it was cool. I, I was thinking about that. It's, it's interesting. Not, I mean, not to talk the whole time about zombies unless you guys want to. But I was like, huh, I wonder how, like, for a kid, like, how do you picture or imagine the resurrection then? You know? Because I was like, huh, because it, obviously it wouldn't be zombies. Like, that's not what we're, what we're talking about. Um but I was just kind of fascinated by, yeah, just how like a, a kid or anybody's imagination would would kind of like work through that. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to picture the resurrection. I'll be honest. Like that's kind of maybe maybe if there was like a fruit of um, of that little uh, prayer time from from that cool moment. Um, so I guess we could talk about that. I hadn't yeah throw that out there anyway, but. Uh, or maybe you guys want to talk about zombies or just count it as a funny juice box <laughs> awesome story. I think there is a new zombie land coming out. <clears throat> there was. I think it came out at Halloween. Though. Oh, it already came out. Mm-hmm. Speaking of movies, though, um, uh, and you want to see a movie after Thanksgiving, I don't think this will be out, <clears throat> but I just got an email that Terrence Malick, his new movie is coming out this year. Oh, that looks awesome. Yeah, and it's about a saint. What is um, it? It's called A Hidden Life. There's a free screening in the Archdiocese uh, in December, but I don't think I can make it. Based on real-life events from visionary writer-director Terrence Malick, A Hidden Life is the story of an unsung hero, Franz Jagerstatter, who refused to fight for the Nazis in World War II. When the Austrian peasant farmer is faced with the threat of execution for treason, it is his unwavering faith and his love for his wife, Fanny, and children that keeps his spirit alive. So he's a, he's a blessed. Wow. wow. More and more evidence that Terrence Malick is a Catholic. Crypto Catholic. Crypto. Hmm. Yeah, man. Hmm. Man, we had a. Um, I'll throw this link in the show notes for this episode. But we had a great event here at Newman with Melissa Villalobos, who received the miracle uh, for the canonization of John Henry Newman. Oh, cool. Very cool story. I'll throw the notes, or I'll throw the link. We have it on our Newman podcast. I remember was, you mentioning that you were trying to get her out there, so you did. Yeah. Yeah, she did an awesome job. Wow, that's really cool. So mm-hmm. she told her whole story? Yeah. Mm. I won't spoil it. It's good. I think you already spoiled it. Yeah. She was on WGN and all that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, so. <laughs> did the students take to it? They enjoyed it? Yeah, a lot of people came. We filled the chapel up, which I was a little nervous. Like, you got this big speaker coming in. Hopefully, it was a good turnout, but... Mm. And I wanted a lot of students to come, you know, it's easier, it's easier enough to get church people to come, but I was glad we got a lot of, the focus people helped a lot recruiting from their Bible studies and stuff. Cool. Word of mouth. And boy, was she generous. Her her husband came and they, they hung out for like an hour and a half after just talking to people in our lounge at the coffee shop and stuff. And she had a lot of kind things to say about the Newman Center and was psyched about what we were doing. So it was cool. Hmm. Yeah, that would be that would be so cool to meet her. Yeah, to, it would yeah, be very cool. Hear the story. Dang. My thing was, it's one thing to know a lot about a saint or to know a saint, you know, as a 
as a devotee, so someone you pray to and ask for help from, but the idea that the saint really knows you and did like a particular or asked for a particular miracle for you in your own state in life, that's like kind of a whole other level. The saint is actually thinking about me or would take the time of all the people on earth. It's kind of cool. And she had a great line. She said, if you want to, if you want to get to know the saints or you want to have a relationship with the saints, um, cultivate holiness of heart because that's the language they speak. So the more, more you can Mm -hmm. kind of like cultivate that spirit of holiness or that desire for holiness, then you will want the same thing as a saint and, and kind of speak the same language as them. She had a lot of good lines like that. Wow. How old is she? She's maybe a couple of years older than me. She's got wow. seven kids, though. Wow. She lives, she's lived a lot of life. Wow, man. <clears throat> Yepers. I wonder, like, I don't know if she spoke to this at all. I don't even know how I would word it, but. And it's not even a fair question to ask just someone who's experienced, like, a, you know, verified miracle. Because I, I really do believe to have experienced miracles like in my own life and they're pretty present in the world but i mean to something to that kind of clarity and extent i don't know i just i wonder when life goes back to normal or does it you know Mm. i don't know or or when life feels normal again to in a sense have that have to come back from something that radical um i don't know does that make sense what i'm asking yeah well, that was partly what was cool to me about meeting her was that this was kind of the way she talked about it was that it was kind of normal to her, like to expect this kind of grace from heaven. The thing that really stuck with me is was she said that. So in short, the miracle was that she was hemorrhaging during her pregnancy and she was prescribed bed rest for like six months. And the placenta was being it was like there was a tear between the placenta and the uterine wall, which is basically unhealable. There's nothing to do except try not to aggravate it. So just lay in bed for six months, basically until the baby is born. And even then you're probably going to lose the baby or it'll be born super premature. And, um, one day she was hemorrhaging and she was about to pass out and she could have died and the baby could have died. And she called out to Newman and was miraculously healed. The bleeding stopped and she had, was getting ultrasounds every week just to like keep an eye on things and she went to the next ultrasound and she was sure she was healed but sure enough the ultrasounds showed no problems and she kept going back week after week until the doctor was like yeah i don't know how or why but you don't need to keep coming back here everything's fine this is a healthy pregnancy um but in the moment that she was healed she smelled this like overwhelming smell of roses in the bathroom where she was at uh she smelled it three times and she said that since then she's like every time she's in the grocery or the florist or anywhere there's roses, she goes and smells the roses. And she said, it's never quite the same. Like it's the same first smell, but the end of any earthly flower, there's always like a sour finish. Hmm. But the flowers that she smelled uh, from heaven had no sour finish. They were just like perfect, beautiful smell. And, um, and the way she said it was like, imagine if that, if just the roses, like a, a hint of a few seconds of what the roses smell like in heaven are that much better mm. than imagine like the whole heavenly revelation of what that's going to be like. Um, and that just really struck me. And that that's kind of what I was hoping for, for the students was like to just countenance the mystery of that there is a world beyond this world and that it is possible for unexpected things to happen. You know, it, it's a, it's a message of hope in the face of a secularism that can be, stifling um that this world is just all there is and it's just work work as if this is the only world and maybe you can have a spiritual life that you know is helps you get through this world but but the catholic thing is more like no this this is the world that's an image of the world that we're actually living in which is the kingdom of god um so yeah i think that that definitely does that for me when I hear something like that, like, yeah, there is, it pierces through the veil of this world every once in a while. And it just gives us a taste like the Eucharist gives us a taste of something infinitely more beautiful, good, and true than we can possibly see in the, 
image world that we live in, you know? So what's normal for somebody who's tasted that? I think it's just kind of expecting God to take care of you. Um, know what I mean? Yeah, man. The veil is thin. Yeah, and there's something, yeah, like I'm really glad that your students, like you're saying, were able to hear that as well because um, just the spirit of skepticism around any type of religion, um, I think, just throws a lot of doubt on any type of um, any type of miracle or anything supernatural that kind of breaks into the normal everyday material world and. I was talking to Porter about this. We had no idea what we were talking about, but we were basically just arguing to argue and we found something to argue about. And we were talking about the difference between revelation to Paul as compared to revelation to like Faustina, where both individuals would say something like, I met the risen Christ. Like really, truly, I I saw Jesus. And JP too would probably say the same thing in in some capacity and Mother Teresa and so there's like a, a proximity a closeness to the person of love to like the answer of everything um, but the church says like no what Paul what happened to Paul is unique and unbelievable and and yet it should be believed like uh, that what he speaks is about a true encounter with the person of Jesus that changed him forever. And again, why we didn't know what we were talking about, but it makes me think of it because I think what we landed on in the conversation was the reliability of what Paul says is dependent on like on the closeness uh, of him to Christ. This revelation was like really, truly the risen Christ um, in such a unique way. And there's something about hearing a story from a lady who like... (laughs) It's not reading about a story of a miracle or, um, I don't know, like seeing a movie about it, but to have a lady who is so close to it, like what a reliable source. You can trust what she says. Like she's not crazy. She's not making this up. She's a sane person. And yet she really did encounter something that was from another world, like literally from another world. And I think just hearing that from a reliable source is a big deal because mm-hmm. you can throw so much doubt and skepticism where you could just say like, well, science just hasn't figured out exactly why she was healed, you know? And yeah, whatever you could say that, but I still believe what she's saying, mm-hmm. you know, that there's this, there's this reliability when you hear a person's story like that, who is really truly convicted that, um, it kind of undermines the doubt, you know? It's like, yeah, there's still questions and there's mystery to it, but man, I believe this person. Uh, Yeah. And that's, that's also what struck me was how reliable of a witness she is. She, you know, went to Northwestern law school and um, is very put together, eloquent speaker, a mother of seven. She went to Northwestern law school? Yeah. She was a lawyer. They're going Uh, down on Saturday. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Side note. Yep. Yeah, Illinois bowl eligible, huh? Mm-hmm. You're in the running mm-hmm. for the Big Ten Championship. Anyways, yeah, she's a totally credible witness. Not not at all a person you'd say, this is some holy roller weirdo. She's a normal person. Uh, could speak right to the experience of college students and having studied hard and had the same worries and preoccupations as anybody else. Um but also had this deep faith. What was really striking too is the was the lead up. I'm going to basically summarize her whole talk, um, but it's better from her, so listen to it. But she got into Newman by watching EWTN. There was some series on him, a seven part series on Newman that she started watching, and she was so struck <clears throat> that here was this cardinal. He wasn't even a saint, but that they had like this seven part series on him, and she was just fascinated by his story. And somebody gave her a holy card with his picture on it, and she kept it and she just looked at the card a lot and sort of felt like his face was sympathetic to, you know, when she was sad, she'd had a miscarriage, um, right before this pregnancy that that was healed. Um, and she felt like whenever she looked at him, she could kind of pour out her heart and that somehow he 
he seemed to understand her. She even noted that in his his life on earth, he wrote like some 21,000 letters, many many of whom were just to like normal parishioners and people with run-of-the-mill mundane concerns and sadnesses that he was he was like in solidarity with and he just had a heart for people. Hmm. So she said, oh, he's got a heart for me and I can tell him my problems and she's home a lot with the kids and homeschooling them and stuff. And so she just talked to Newman a lot. And when she was having the miscarriage, she her baby was um, had no heartbeat and it was like some weeks before she delivered the baby and uh, just dealing with that grief, talked to him a lot and, and asked him like, I'll never ask you for anything again, but just help me, even if I lose this baby, not to lose my faith, uh, not to lose my love of Jesus and to stay a Catholic. And she Mm. lost the baby and she kept her faith and she said, I don't know why it happened, but I know I still love Jesus. I still wanted to be Catholic and I still had my faith. So she said to Newman, like, I'll never ask you for anything again. Um, I just want, she was very endearing the way she talked about her relationship with Newman. It was not like, oh, he's my saint. I go to him for, you know, when I lose things or she's like, I wanted my love for him to be unconditional. Like, I don't just love you because I want things from you, but Hmm. I want to be your friend. Uh, Which is also something, it was just very striking the way she, like, she encountered these things as real. Um, This friend in heaven as if they were like a friend on earth. Um. So then when this happened, she she just called out to him. Like that was her last resort. She didn't have her phone on her. Her kids were all down on the first floor and she was upstairs and pretty wild. Very cool. Have you ever read the book uh, Miracles by C.S. Lewis? Wow, you know, I, I don't start- think I have. I started on it and uh, <laughs> did not make it through. Yeah, I haven't read it either, so I thought we should talk about it. <laughs> 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 no, but isn't I think is it's just interesting. And I don't know on and it's such a beautiful story, um, but the whole idea of a miracle, and I think it's in miracles that C.S. Lewis will, at least at the beginning, he talks. He'll go into the. Uh, like before you can even talk about whether or not miracles have happened is you have to address like whether they're possible to have happened almost like, could you believe that it's possible for a miracle to happen? Um, I don't know. It's just interesting. I mean, the stories like that just seem, I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously I'm a believer and believe that like, that's a real thing. And I just think it's awesome, but I've just, I think that story also just rings as extraordinarily authentic as well. And I guess I can only take it from my perspective, but I I would guess that it sounds pretty dang authentic um, to anyone who hears it too. And I think people are kind of open to that. I don't know, maybe, and maybe I'm kind of wrestling with like, I don't maybe talk about miracles and just talking about them simply like as reality enough Hmm. Um, or even yeah or even that her point I love that point that you made Bisc of like hearing her talk and it just seemed pretty normal because it's kind of like how she knew Newman and what to expect Um, I don't know I don't know so on that I think that's really really cool though but I just wonder how much appeal because, and I, I wonder because I think it actually might have even more appeal to today's world than like I would even initially give it credit for because right. it is so easy to, you know, whoever was saying like, Oh, well like science will solve it one day. I don't know, man. I think people are hungry for stories like that. Yeah, I will say I'm I'm a little wary of the miracle thing, like the signs and wonders way of going about Christianity is like, yeah, yeah, we need to, we need to be doing miracles all the time and God will show up if we have faith in him, just like you did in the gospels and the acts of the apostles. Cause sometimes it does feel a little vulnerable to superstition or charlatanism, right? Where like authentic holiness is like in spite of the world's often senseless suffering 
that Christ is present. I mean, we talk about that all the time in the sadnesses and seen that a lot this year. Um, times you wish a miracle would happen and it doesn't. And yet you encounter Christ there. Um, but even there is, there's miracles present. Um, if you have eyes to see them, uh, so I, I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Like part of me wants to just be like, let's not freak out the secular world and do all sorts of weird stuff like saints and miracles and relics and whatnot. Uh, because it'll be more legible if we, if we talk more about like the human value of being Christian and like mm-hmm. the psychological, like the, the fittingness of the Christian message and the Christian life with a full life. Um, even on the, even on the material plane, you know, just the human plane. But there's also this sense that like the center of Christianity is a miracle, the resurrection. That's the whole center of gravity of the whole thing uh, is the explosion of death with this eternal life that starts here and now through baptism. And if you don't like Christianity is this way of seeing the world that's different, um, that the world is porous, you know, it's sacramental. It's symbolic of an, of another world. Um, and it shouldn't surprise us that from time to time he does some kind of sparkly cool things to show us like, Hey, you know, in his divine wisdom, doesn't do it every time. There are still babies that, that are still born like in this woman's own life. Yeah. Um, why the one baby and not the other, but, um, yeah, maybe another way that I could that I would I would say it because I I may agree with both of you guys is uh, one. Well, there's just a a lot of cliche stuff around miracles mm-hmm. um, that I just never really impacted me. Um, yeah, I've never really connected with it, and I mean these are both personal experience, so I guess subjective reasoning. But like, I honestly can say. I would never have the expectation that I would receive a miraculous healing. Hmm. And if it happened, cool. Like I I think it's entirely possible, but um like if I'm being totally honest, I I guess I wouldn't expect that. Um and I don't know what that means. Um Yeah. I mean, cuz you could probably analyze it a lot of different ways. Um I prayed for stuff before. Man, I remember in high school there was a week, this was our homecoming game against Gatewood. And I just wanted to win that game so bad and play well. And I was, I was straight up perfect. It was definitely a quid pro quo with God. Like, if I'm perfect this week, you owe me six touchdown passes and a victory <laughs> against Gatewood. And I was awful, dude. I like blew the game. We lost homecoming. And is that where you're sitting in the basement and your dad made you come upstairs? Yeah, for sure. That's okay. So I've told you, yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking, but I was kind of like, okay, well, I'm never going to ask for things. That was definitely a moment where I was like, all right, this is, this is bunk. This is, (laughs) I don't believe in God. (laughs) I threw, I threw two interceptions today. That's that's funny. Uh, Yeah. But it's, I mean, maybe you could analyze it in that my hope for the supernatural breaking through has been so dulled from. Uh, what I would experience is uh, maybe silence from God uh, in that way, but but I don't know. I I don't yeah. I don't know. You know, it's weird because I'm thinking of like one thing I often ask for God just in the in the material plane is like help me fall asleep right now because sometimes I can't fall asleep at night whether I'm worried about stuff or whatever, and I'll just pray the rosary and. and literally ask God and Mary, just help me fall asleep right now. It's the simplest thing, but I want, I need to get good sleep. So I'm good tomorrow. And often it'll happen. Sometimes it takes a long time, but, um, you know, on one plane you could say, well, maybe just praying helps calm your mind down and all this stuff. And like, what's actually divine intervention and what's not. Um, but I do think there's that like ordinary, just humble filial trust that, Hey, here's something simple I need. Can you please help me with this? You know, um, which I think as Christians, we can expect God to care about those little things. But then there's also this other level of like the, the truly miraculous, 
Um, I'm thinking of, do you remember at the end of the end of the affair, Graham Greene? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, I think I think someone takes a lock of her hair at the mm-hmm, end. Mm-hmm. And there's some there's some miraculous healing with the relic of her hair. Yeah. Remember? It's on that guy's face, maybe? Yeah. The guy that she would visit? Yeah. Then. Right, right, right. Yep. Um, but I feel like a guy like Graham Greene gets that because he's, he's obviously struggled with faith himself and pretty cynical and uh, yet his writing is shot through with this rumor of angels kind of attitude of like, I don't want this to be the case, but still I can't help that these crazy religious people, there's, there's something to it that haunts me, you know, and hmm. mir- miracles and relics, the weird stuff of Catholicism um, haunts me. It's just like, what if that were true, you know? Because it does, it, it is like you said about Lewis, kind of the first thing, the a priori is, are miracles possible? Because if they're not, then they you won't see them anywhere. You know, there's always some way to rationalize that. Yeah, there's some scientific explanation for that or sure. the, the parting of the Red Sea with some Yam Suf, some Reed Sea that was actually pretty shallow and maybe the winds just happened to blah, blah, blah. Um, even some Christians will say like, that's how God works through secondary causes and, and sort of like domesticates the miraculous. Um, but then there are, are things like this where a, a educated lawyer uh, comes and tells you that a dead cardinal healed her pregnancy miraculously and then showed her a double rainbow um, on a cloudless day and she was fine and the baby was born overweight. And you're like, well, hmm. Something to that. You feel me, bro? When you say it that way, some dead guy saved my baby. Yeah. Like, man, that's, that's actually what she's saying. Some dead British dude saved me in Chicago. (laughs) Knows me. Right. What in the world? He's got a huge nose, too. (laughs) Huge, dude. There was a First Things article about him, and they had First Things has been doing those caricatures in the in between the columns and they had one of Newman and his schnoz took up like half the column. <laughs> <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, I've, yeah. what have you been thinking I've, about Rob? Um, thinking about the, well, zombies. Um, <laughs> they're not real. No, right? the, the, yeah, just, but seriously, guys, they aren't real, though. <laughs> that is true. Okay. What was that? <laughs> um, ooh, man, lately, the... Well, I'm pretty pumped. Uh, Archbishop Fulton Sheen is going to be canonized, or beatified, not canonized, uh, yeah. beatified. Are you coming up for it, Mike? You should. Have you heard about this? No. It's like December 21st, I think, mm. is his beatification in Peoria. Um, but it's just cool, man. And I've always kind of wondered, I don't know. I, it took me back. I, I drove through Peoria the other day and going up to my sister's and it's a really cool river town. If you've never been there, my mom grew up in Peoria. So I love, love Peoria. And, uh, it's Omaha esque. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. There is a similar feel for, for whatever. I don't know if it's the rivers or or what, but a very similar feel to both cities. Um, but it's really cool. You can go into their cathedral, which is beautiful. And they have his tomb up on like the front left side. And, um, I was just thinking how cool that is. And then, um, in our diocese, for Springfield diocese, we're in the process. We're actually, Chicago has the cause, but the body of uh, Father Tolton is in Quincy. And so Bishop Perry is like the, I can't remember the title, but he is the one that's like leading that effort. Um, and I think everything's looking good there. So I was just thinking central Illinois, God's country, um, within hopefully like 10 years could have two canonized saints in Quincy and Peoria, kind of two unknown towns to, to the world. 
And certainly Fulton Sheen is, is probably w- more well-known than Father Tolton. Uh, but Father Tolton, my gosh, the more I learn about him, he's awesome. And I was just kind of thinking, I was actually, when I was driving through Peoria, I was thinking back to our trip to, to France about how like you just go through these towns and see all these incredible cathedrals. Some are like in ruins today, and you can go and see all of these saints and um, just that culture that, I don't know, is just like implicit there or still in the bones there, whatever it is. Um, and I was just thinking how, like, how what a cool thing that is for central Illinois to maybe have two saints in, in that amount of time. And hopefully like four or 500 years from now, you can go through the whole U.S. and have just saints to, to visit everywhere. Hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was just really. I'm just. I, I'm the more and more I've thought about um, Sheen being can, canonized. It just. I don't know. Like the the more excited I am um, about it. Like it's a really really big thing for the American Church and um, and like I said, I have a lot of a lot of family ties and um, just deep love for Peoria. And so, and I know the whole, like not to get into it, but the whole kind of spat between Peoria and New York and how that stretched everything out and and all of that. But um, just the fact that he's there is really, really cool. Yeah. He's one of your boys. He's a, he's a central Illinois guy. Yep. From the soil. He was baptized. Is it, um, it's like a, it's is it a Spanish word? El Paso. It's El Paso. Uh-huh. Yeah, you can see the steeple from the highway there when you drive by. Yeah, that's right. Man, I almost stopped in there and saw the baptismal font where he was baptized. Uh, yeah, he's a Central Illinois guy. Yeah, man. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. But more, I guess, in my thought, like what I've been thinking on, even I mean, that's all stuff is important. I've been praying with it, which is really cool, and, and all of that, and. uh but it was just cool to think. I don't know. I, and I've thought about that ever since that France trip, honestly, or spending time in Rome or whatever of, um, you know, I don't know that, I mean, maybe that'd be great, but I don't know that in the next hundred years or whatever, this great, you know, the U.S. is going to have this like spiritual revival and it's going to be uh, like become this, you know, spiritual powerhouse for the church. Maybe that'd be that'd be awesome. Um, but still, like you just give it more and more time, and hopefully you'll have more and more saints, um, which is really I don't know. That's just something something to be. Just thankful give it for. time. Give it time, man. Give it time. Hope so. Yeah, it's just wild, man. Or thinking about, God, I mean, it, like it freaks me out a little bit that you can just talk to uh, a human being. Like that, what was her name? Melissa, did you mm-hmm. say? The lawyer? Um, that you can talk to that person and it's like, no, I mean, yeah, you could you could word it as um, the a dead guy from England, you know, saved this woman in Chicago. And you could word it like that. Or you could like you kind of tap into the reality of like... The mystical body, yeah, the mystical body of Christ, like the divine love itself, like through this heavenly intercession, like reached down and saved this person, mm-hmm. and we participate in that, and we actually participate and get to receive something even more profound than that every time that we go to mass and receive the Eucharist, um, and that's freaky, man. Like that's yeah. really freaky. Yeah, I've been thinking some about <clears throat> having dead friends. Um, you know, that like you actually are connected. I remember Oaks talked about this with Hamlet. Um, wasn't that his, one of his theses was that Hamlet was kind of about, um, he's from Wittgenstein. Is that right? Wittgenstein? Denmark? Wittenberg. Wittenberg. Yeah. Um, which is where Luther posted his theses. and Well, he had studied. He was coming back from studies in Wittenberg. Right. Yeah, Hamlet was, right? Yeah. yeah. Oaks, yeah. Oaks had you read uh, Greenblatt, which his whole theory is that Shakespeare was the... He was wrestling with purgatory. Catholic, and it's a whole kind of commentary on wrestling with... Talk with about purgatory. a crypto-Catholic, am I right? Yeah. Exactly. No yeah. 
uh, Terrence Malick, eat your heart out. Um, that the whole ghost is the the thing that like the Protestant um, doing away with purgatory and saying mass for the dead and stuff like that was um, putting this chasm between the living and the dead that the Catholic imagination did not have that divide that we were all kind of still connected that the church in heaven was connected to the church on earth and the church in purgatory and that mystical body binds us all together. Um, which is why you could ask for the intercession of saints or why that we could say mass and that merit could be applied to souls in purgatory, etc. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just thinking about like Doris, Cardinal George, father O'Malley, my spiritual director, um, my grandfather, people that I, kind of count on to pray for me even when i'm not thinking about them um that they're awake to the to the lord and to me um and can intercede for me as i can pray for them or whatever state they're in uh yeah i think that that stuff is important and as you go through life you get more and more friends on the other side um people that you've loved in this life that count on to continue loving you there's especially this one guy i do this a lot with people that i know are really holy and that i'm anointing and that are dying one guy in particular mr riley he was almost 100 i think he was 99 he fought in world war ii went to daily mass prayed every day read the whole bible in french to his wife um just a holy holy guy and as he's dying he was he was um lucid till his dying day able to receive communion, like just died of natural causes, straight old age in his bed at home. I was like, you will not forget to pray for me, right? He's like, I'll always pray for you. And thank you so much, Father. And I got to do his funeral. He asked me to do his funeral after he, he'd known just dozens and dozens of priests that were his close friends throughout his life. I'm the one that gets to do his funeral. You know, I need that guy praying for me. Mm-hmm. And I trust that he is. And I promised to pray for him, so I do that. But got a feeling he he got his ticket punched. Am I right, guys? I'm starting to realize just I I think you're a pretty melancholy, morbid guy, Connor. I'm starting to realize <laughs> that more and more. Yeah. What? What have you been thinking about? It's just having dead friends <laughs> <laughs> you were just thinking about it weren't you <laughs> been thinking about it yeah uh, to be honest i <clears throat> i mean i have a couple but and it makes sense especially when you hang out with folks who are a little bit older like the majority and it's kind of a joke but the majority of what they talk about is either how they're sick or what they're getting over or mm. like how their friends are dying and uh at some point, you just got to say, like, everybody that I know is on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know anybody here anymore, you know? And I wonder if there's, like, a type of preparation that does lead to to a peaceful death or, like... Yeah. I, I wonder if it's almost like there's more of a feeling of, like, no one here knows me hmm? and it's time to go. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be both, you know? I'm sure. Yeah. Well, it's like Therese's thing. I'm going to spend my heaven doing good on earth. Yeah. Like I can do a lot from heaven to still love people here. It's not goodbye. It's just see you later. Happy Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. No goodbyes. But I will say like that All Souls Day Mass um, at St. John Cantius, which I was privileged to preach at. Man, that does definitely... Uh, make you long for heaven, but also makes you very sad. Like the mm. Mozart, the last instrumental piece as we're walking out of the church, just haunting. It's like, yeah, this mm. is all coming to an end, but that's good, you know, because heaven's going to be this overwhelming beauty, roses that don't have a sour finish kind of feel. And it makes, that's what the mass should do. It makes you long for that, mm. you know, um, what which was makes you hopefully, hymn? was it, was it sing a new church into being? It was go make a difference. Go make <laughs> <Yeah>. a difference. <laughs> right, dude. We've talked about it before because it's like you do need those experiences to remember that that's real. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, certainly awake a desire in it, but like, oh, that actually exists. I I believe that again. I believe that there really is this place that I have a destiny that's going to be unlike anything I've ever seen before. And that doesn't give you permission then to just like, well, then this world is no good and we just got to detach from it. And I think it makes you love the things more intensely, you know, especially the people. And makes you makes your heart more broken for the suffering that's in the world and the people that are suffering, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's this line um, I just started reading through. I've never gotten through it, but uh, The Diary of a Country Priest by, is it Bernanos? Is that right? Georges Bernanos. Have you, have you read that, Bisque? I feel like you would love it. Yeah, we... The problem was it was assigned for a class in seminary, so I didn't read the whole thing. I was on oh. a time schedule, so I skimmed it, but oh. it's oh. on my list. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's interesting how it's written, all that, but there's this line in the intro that the guy wrote, talks about, and I can't remember it exactly, but what the definition of grace in uh, Bernanos's world, um, and it talks about grace is not peace, but rather the capacity to like bear the cross of Christ. That's what grace is Hmm. um, in this world. And I thought, man, I really like that definition. Cause I I mean, this is something I've not processed all the way through before, but I mean, I I don't know that I have a very good working definition of what peace is either. Um, like I talk about seeking peace a lot and knowing peace in your heart. And I do think I know it when I experience it. Um, but experiences like Haiti, um, that they, they've changed that for me. Um, cause I've, I just noticed that of now, like you can't, you can't take that away. Um, once you've, ex- you've gone to somewhere like that and it doesn't have to be a place like that. It could be you know, something that happened today, whatever it is, but I've always worded it. It's like, well, what I always thought peace was, which was just kind of this like good, overwhelming feeling um, of like things are as they should be. And maybe I don't have to worry about anything just in this moment. Like that's what peace is. I don't know. It's just made that at least in principle, not possible because even in a moment like that, like that children's hospital in Haiti is still present and it's still real. Um, and I certainly think there's like peace and joy there, which is amazing, but it just, it has kind of shattered what I thought peace was, or at least how I would define it. Um, and like I said, that's kind of all to the extent that I have that so far, I don't really know where to go from there in a lot of ways. But I like that definition of what grace is, um, Mm -hmm. at least in that world, is that it's grace is actually just the capacity to um, bear the cross that we're given, the cross of Christ. Yeah. I talked a little bit about this in in the homily at the Requiem Mass of like, I was just thinking about this insane thing the the whole pageantry of it and the beauty of the liturgy and the church and the music and everything like that is meant to be this pale reflection of the glory of heaven and how overwhelming it is and the word requiem being rest um and how a lot of times i think we think of heaven as the kind of rest that you're talking about like peace of just sort of an overwhelming good feeling like a hot bath or a massage or some, some like end of suffering. And now we're just at peace. Like we were sitting on clouds playing harps and everything's fine. You know, we don't have to carry crosses anymore, suffer or die. Um, But the reality is that the beatific vision, the communion with the Trinity is actually insanely intense. And so we have to have this capacity to bear it, you know, and what it looks like on this side of death is, a lot of times suffering, the kind of purgation of like detaching from everything that's not God so that we can give our whole hearts to him. But um, I thought about this a couple years ago and I was reading Brother Lawrence, the practicing the presence of God, how 
how intense that is to like really attend to the presence of God in your life, even in the ordinary. It's just, it's not like it's hard as it's a Herculean effort to concentrate on that all the time, but it's just like, wow, God really doesn't leave you alone. If you, if you try to get rid of this part of your heart, that's like, all right, God, I'm going to bracket you for a few hours while I do stuff. But instead, like everything you do, whether active or contemplative, you do totally acknowledging the infinite outpouring of God's love 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. That's intense, you know, to be an empty vessel receiving that all the time, which is what heaven is. Um, So the real rest, I think, is not like the sleep rest, but the rest of the Sabbath that God commands Adam and Eve to do in the garden, which is communion. Um, to be at leisure, at rest with each other. So you're not just doing and working, and but you're being in communion, which is not simply an, a lack of activity or a lack of worry. It's, it's um, an openness to the dynamism of the whole being of the universe, um, love, which is intense um, and active in its way, but it's receptive. So you can't, like I I riffed on people talking about how they want to die, like in a plane crash or dying in their sleep or some like easy way to slip away and then just wake up in the golf course and in the sky. Like maybe I can escape a lot of suffering and just kind of get to the reward part. But in order to be prepped for the intensity of the kind of communion that we long for, um, there's no resurrection without the cross. And I, I also started with the Ad Astra thing. I talked about a, a few episodes ago about Brad Pitt's thing. I look forward to when my solitude has ended and I am home. Mm-hmm. That like uh, that all of us have this native solitude uh, from being alienated by sin, from God and from each other and from ourselves. That we long to be home, which is in communion, not a not a place on earth, but a state of being where. Um, I'm known and lo- known and loved and um, totally at rest, but I can't just get there. There's no shortcut to get there. I have to go into the mess of relationship um, and let edges of myself be be rubbed away, and that's a whole project of life. You know what I mean? Open the self to the other. Man, I keep stumping you guys. We'll go riff for a while and then silence. Le grand silence. It's because you've been talking in French this whole time. (laughs) Georges Bernanos. Good stuff. Yep. Mike, you got anything? I'm just kind of realizing I don't know if I've been thinking about much lately. I <laughs> <laughs> like the things I've been thinking about are they're just very different, I guess. No, but it's yeah. Dude, this kind of gets back. This is maybe a meta observation. It's like all of the observations that I would make that you just made about what you just said, Connor. I feel like like I've said it. I've said it before. Not that it makes it wrong or anything, but uh be repetitive or just agreeing in a lot of the same ways so there's a a type of a frustration there to it um you're feeling frustrated now i'm feeling more frustrated (laughs) (laughs) yeah Hmm. i still need to see ad astra it's yeah you do yeah go see that on friday is it out? Should be still. I hope. I kind of want to see the uh, the Mister Rogers movie with Tom Hanks. Oh, that could be a good one. I watched the documentary about him. It's quite good. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. You know, he was a Presbyterian pastor. Yeah, yeah. I think I watched that, or at least most of that documentary on a plane one time. It was pretty interesting. Hmm. Should we cut it? Let's cut it. Yeah.
Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisc, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.